Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. So some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly felt silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of all old. Therefore, my judgment is that we shouldn't trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations... Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Thank you, Cathy, and uh, good morning to everybody here in the Rev studio and everybody at home. Great to be together. When I first became a Christian, when I was a student, and uh, at that time, Christian posters were really very popular. And one of the more amusing posters showed a group of church leaders meeting around a table with the caption, God so loved the world that he didn't send a committee. 
today we're returning to this series called Covenant People, based on the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is exciting, it's dynamic, it's full of drama, it's full of miracles. And chapter after chapter, we see the Holy Spirit transforming people's lives and doing an amazing work in the lives of the church at that time. And then you arrive at chapter 15, which is essentially a chapter about a committee meeting. Now, this isn't the most promising material for a scintillating sermon, uh, but it was a particularly good committee meeting, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and uh, they established some principles regarding unity in the church. And these principles are still very important for us today. So one of the hallmarks for us being a covenant people is unity. We're called to live together in harmony, even though we come from very different backgrounds, uh, cultures, ethnicities, with different age groups, different traditions. God calls us to come together in unity. So the Bible reading we've just heard focused on the challenge of bringing people together from a a Jewish background and a non-Jewish background, a Gentile background, in the city of Antioch. And some teachers had come up from the Jerusalem area, from Judea, uh, to insist that these new believers, these Gentile believers, should obey the law of Moses in order to be fully saved. And of course, Paul and Barnabas were fairly incensed by this, and they decide to travel down to Jerusalem to get an official ruling from the church leaders there. And so they gather people together, they get this council of Jerusalem together, and it sounds as if there was a lot of discussion and a lot of debate. And then eventually Peter got up and recalled what had happened um, 12 years earlier, about 12 years earlier, which is recorded in the book of Acts chapter 10. And we, if you remember that story, Peter was, uh, had this vision of this, 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 this food coming down, these animals coming down, unclean animals. And God says, you know, get up and kill and eat. And Peter's puzzled by the vision. And then some men come to collect him and bring him to Cornelius' house. And Peter knows that God has spoken to him about uh, just coming into the household of this Gentile uh, uh, family. And so Peter goes into the family home and he proclaims Jesus. He talks about Jesus. He talks about the cross. He talks about the resurrection. And as he's speaking, the Holy Spirit comes on these Gentile believers. And so he's concluded from that point onwards that God is perfectly able to uh, save the non-Jewish people as well as the Jewish people. The Holy Spirit comes on them. Salvation is for all people. And he's saying in this particular chapter that we've just heard that we don't want to burden these people with the law. I mean, we couldn't cope with it ourselves. So let's allow the Gentiles to be saved. Let's let's realise that they're saved by faith in Jesus alone. And so James sums up this decision. James is one of the key leaders in the church. And it was agreed they'd send this letter to the church in Antioch and to send some of their own folks with the the letter to confirm it. So let's pick up the story again in Acts chapter 15 and verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, 
with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So this chapter really establishes a key salvation doctrine that we are saved by faith in Jesus and not by obeying the law of Moses. Now, if you're not a believer this morning, this is good news. Uh, Maybe you've always been under the impression that in order to uh, please God or to find salvation, somehow you have to obey certain rules uh, uh, ongoingly in order to be saved. You have to work at it to get salvation. Well, the good news is that you don't have to do that at all. It's all been done for you by Jesus who died on the cross. And when you actively put your faith in him, you can know new life and forgiveness of life, uh, forgiveness from sin. So new life, forgiveness of sin. And there is nothing you can do to impress God or to earn your salvation. It is a free gift. So it's good news. And this chapter really establishes that. The... Believers in Antioch were very pleased with this letter. Uh, They weren't required to add any religious duties to their daily routines in order to fulfill or complete their salvation. They knew with certainty that it's faith in Jesus only. So the Gentile believers didn't need to become Jews to be fully saved, but they did need to respect the Jewish believers' uh, uh, so that they could fellowship together. Because when they were coming together to have fellowship around a meal table, there were real problems and issues. Let's look at verse 28 and verse 29 in more detail. The council encouraged them to avoid four things. And all of these things were associated with pagan worship or uh, pagan rituals. They would have been deeply offensive to the Jewish believers. And so when they gathered together, they were being encouraged to abstain from these four things. Food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. just want to take these things one at a time very briefly and just look at them more closely. So food sacrificed to idols. We know in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, that food was declared clean. Jesus himself said that what, it's what goes into somebody's mouth, that, that doesn't defile them, it's what comes out of their mouth that defiles them. He, he talks about that in Matthew 15. So believers are free to eat any kinds of food, but the Jews were understandably disturbed by eating meat sacrificed to idols. And so Paul has to address this in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8. You can read more about it there but he really encourages believers not to offend one another by what they eat. 
The second thing was, that's mentioned here is blood. They're to abstain from blood. Now, last week, Kathy and I had uh, some time off, and we went to a restaurant called Zadell's, uh, right near Piccadilly Circus. Um, it's an amazing underground French restaurant. There's not very much from the, from the front. It looks like a small cafe, and then you go down two levels, and there's an extraordinary space down there, which is beautiful, and you can get a very good, cheap, two-course meal, and so we had steak and chips. Now, I don't often eat steak, but if, you, if I do eat steak, it's got to be well done. And if you order steak in France, uh, they, they generally serve it fairly rare, so you have to make sure it's going to be well done or bien cuit, otherwise you're going to be eating blood. Now, so my, my, that sort of churns my stomach a little bit, the idea of eating lots of blood in the meat, but you can imagine the Jewish believers' reaction to blood in the meat because they've been taught from Leviticus 17 that no person among you shall eat blood. So that was a real problem for them. It was a similar issue with the meat of strangled animals. That was a no-go area for Jews as well. And then the fourth thing is sexual immorality. Well, pagan rituals and idol worship often involved temple prostitution. So there were lots of temple prostitutes involved in the worship of these idols. And so uh, for the people in Antioch, they'd grown up with this kind of uh, background, this sort of context, culture, uh, but now the Jewish believers have obviously got problems with that and they're trying to come together in fellowship. And so they're saying, look, avoid sexual immorality. So all four of these things were normal for the people in Antioch, but the Jews were obviously feeling uh, difficulties in that. It's causing real tensions. The apostles aren't telling them to avoid these things in order to be saved. They're not saying this is, you've got to do these things as well to be saved. They're saying you're, you're saved because of your faith in Jesus. But what they do say is, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. So they're guidelines, it's advice, it's, it's, it's not rules. It's just instructions to help them along the way. In the Aramaic, it's literally, you will be beautiful believers if you keep your souls from these things. That's inward beauty rather than outward beauty, otherwise some of us would be in problems. So this is countercultural because we live in a society that likes to say, no one can tell me how to live my life. Uh, I'm going to live my life this way. If somebody's got a problem with it, they'll have to deal with it. That's that sort of attitude. And so the Bible challenges us to do the reverse, to sacrifice our own preferences in the pursuit of unity. We're to consider one another. We're to prefer one another. We're to give up our rights for the sake of unity in the body of Christ. Now, this is all very well, but we probably feel that we're living in a very different context today. Uh, after all, very few of us will have grown up in a situation where we're surrounded by idol worship or pagan rituals. So how is this relevant for us today? I just want to go through a few things where I think this does touch on uh, today's world. First one is worship music. I remember years ago when I first became a Christian, the church was changing very rapidly, so they used to sing lots of hymns, and then these new songs were coming in, which were uh, people were playing guitars. They used to have the organ, but now you've got guitars and drums and keyboards. And I remember my pastor, Norman, uh, saying at the time, he said, look, you know, I, I really prefer the hymns. I love classical music. 
but he felt for the sake of what God was doing, to go with the greater good, go with what God was doing at that time, he was going to embrace these new songs, even though he didn't personally particularly like them. Um, he had the maturity to recognize that the Holy Spirit was doing a new thing. There were new forms of worship coming through. There were young people coming into the church. The people were getting saved, baptized, and he wanted to embrace that and the new music that was coming with it. Um, and so he was able to put aside his own preferences in order to do that. Secondly, respecting different forms of worship. Um, some Christians love using liturgy and prayer books and candles and silent meditation, and they celebrate certain days of the year. Um, if you're interacting with believers from different traditions, it might take some work on your part to actually honour those practices and go with the flow in their worship settings. Put down your preferences. Food. Some people are vegetarians. Other people have no problem with eating meat. Paul addresses the issue head on in Romans 14. In verse 3, he says, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. We need to uh, just recognize different people's preferences in that sense as well. Or drinking alcohol. For many people, they're comfortable drinking alcohol, but other believers, and sometimes particularly in other nations around the world, are not comfortable about Christians drinking alcohol. So if you exercise your freedom to drink wine in a setting where you know other people will have a problem, you really aren't acting out of kindness, uh, and you have no regard for the importance of the unity of the body of Christ. Fifthly, dress code. You can go to some churches where... People dress in suits on Sunday. Uh, of course, we have the freedom to dress less formally, and we do in this church. But if you were attending another church where people were much more formal and you turned up in jeans and T-shirt, that may not be too helpful. Again, in all these different areas, and there will be other examples, we need to be considerate of what other people feel and believe uh, and what they emphasize. The point is that we should prize unity above our personal preferences. Paul sums it up neatly in Romans 14, 13. He says, make up your minds not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Jesus spent some time in John chapter 17 praying for unity, didn't he? And in verse 23, it tells us why there. So that the world will know that God sent Jesus. This is all about our witness to the world. I mean, why would anybody be attracted to Jesus if the church, his church, is constantly squabbling? Why would anybody want to become a Christian and join a group of people who are in conflict with each other day after day after day? Why would people want to join something which is disunited? There's, there's plenty of disunity out there in the world already. I think what people are looking for is a community where everyone is valued, everyone's respected, uh, they're looking for a community where everyone is part of the in-crowd. There aren't outsiders. If we can't build that kind of church community, we're going to struggle to see people saved and added to the church. For those of us who are believers, the challenge is to be prepared to give up our individual rights for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ. And it won't come naturally to us necessarily. We really do need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. Let's pray together, shall we? 
Lord, we're very conscious that you prayed at length in John 17 about unity in the body of Christ. Lord, you would have been aware that as the gospel reached to more and more corners of the world, that people from very different backgrounds and cultures and traditions would fellowship together and try and unite together around your name. And Lord, we understand the importance of unity as part of our witness for the church uh, to the world as well. So Lord, we want to pray for ourselves as a church here in North London. You'd help us to just bear with one another, support one another, love one another in this way to put down our own preferences and to just embrace one another and help one another. Not to disregard truth and the importance of uh, stating truth from the scriptures, but where we can, just to work together, where cultural differences affect us, Lord, to be very flexible in that. And so, Lord, we pray for unity so that we might see more and more people saved, more and more people added, people who want to join this kind of church community. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.